Tara Westover started her new life on New Year's Day. Her mother drove her from rural Idaho to start college at Brigham Young University and start her formal education at the age of 16. I say formal education because up until that moment, Tara Westover was not allowed to go to school. And so she had packed for her first semester of college. She took one of those big black garbage bags and filled it with clothes and then took a dozen cans of her mama's peaches. Her roommates that she was to meet, they were still away on their Christmas break. And so she settled into her apartment by herself for three days. The first roommate to arrive was Shannon. She she writes, she was wearing plush pink pajama bottoms and a tight white tank with spaghetti straps. Tara writes, I stared at her bare shoulders. I had seen women dressed this way before. Dad called them Gentiles. And I always avoided getting too near them as if their immorality might be catching. Now there was one in my house. Tara Westover is the woman who wrote her 2018 autobiography titled Educated. She tells her unique upbringing story by a father with extreme fundamentalist Mormon views. For Tara, sin was defined as whatever her father said was sin. The government, hospitals, schools, doctors, but also any form of immodesty in dress, talk, or action. And her father had taught her that if you got too close to anybody that was participating in anything like that, or too close to one of those institutions, you would be likely to sin as well. What were you taught about sin as a child? For our parents today, Is this something you even teach your children? As a teenager, I learned that sin with a capital S was what separates humans from God. And that because of Jesus, I could not be separated from God anymore because my big S had died up on the cross. But I could still do little s sins. Little s sins were things one could choose to do or not to do bad things that, that God didn't approve of or your parents didn't approve of, like lying or cheating on a test, swearing, getting drunk, having sex before marriage, etc. And if I was to sin little s in these ways, there would be consequences, both in this world and from God. And so as a pleaser, I hated getting in trouble. And so I tried my best not to do these things. Really just so that I wouldn't get in trouble and I would stay on God's good side. As I grew up and I gained more independence, I realized that if I did some of these bad things though, I didn't 
always get in trouble and there wasn't always an immediate consequence. I would see how maybe my ugliness towards my siblings or towards a friend would affect their well-being. So my understanding of sin, it, it began to move from something that I just tried my best not to do so that I wouldn't get in trouble to things that I should do to make sure that I always feel good and other people always feel good. All of the while, y'all, this understanding of sin that I had, it was, it was really more of a scorecard and I just needed to make sure that I had more checks in the not sin column than I did in the sin column. One of the many problems was that, with this was that when I tried my best not to sin and not to hurt others, I still somehow managed to do so. I remember specifically in high school being flabbergasted when a friend came up to me and explained to me how hurt she was that I had not invited her to a party the weekend before. And I looked at her and I said, well, one, I didn't even know that you were wanted to go to that party, but two, it wasn't my party to invite you to. And what this led to in that 16-year-old mind for me was this new way of living. If I am trying my best to not mess up, and yet I still am doing so, I must just need to try harder. Fast forward a few decades. Charlie and I have these two children, Logan and Riley at this point, and we let Logan and Riley go to a week of Christian sleepaway camp. And I say we let them because we waited until it was the, you send one and you get the second one to go for free deal. They both had this fabulous time at this camp. The week after camp, I'm hanging out with the boys and I accidentally stepped on Logan's foot. And after he says, ow, he looks at me and he says, that's okay, mama, everyone sins. This was a turning point in my faith, in my parenting, in my self-awareness. Keep in mind, I've already been to seminary. I've already been in ministry for 10 years. I realized at that moment that not only did I need to make sure that my kids knew what sin really meant, whether it was big S or little s, I needed to make sure that I knew what it meant. Much of our definition and understanding of sin comes from what we learned or what we were taught when we were younger, or at least how our brains processed it when we were younger by Sunday school teachers, confirmation teachers, parents, and yes, Christian camp. And so our tough question for God today is what is the deal with sin? Now, before our scripture reading, I want to make sure that you have a pen and, piece of, pen and a piece of paper or get out the notes section in your phone. And every time you hear something, whether in the scripture or in the sermon that, that makes you ask another question or want to dive deeper, write that down. And all of those questions that you have, you can bring to Pastor Claire tomorrow night when she is our Monday night speaker series and is going to dive deep, deeper than we can in a, a sermon on what is the deal with sin. To help us answer this question today, we will look at the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church in Rome. Before we read this, will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory, but thanks be to God 
that we have all been forgiven and can boldly approach you, try to fumble around with our words and our life, knowing that there is absolutely nothing that can ever separate us from your love. And so with all humility, God, I I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're reading from Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 1. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And skip down to verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you are drawn to the way this scripture reads with the rhetorical questions and these emphatic answers. If you are drawn to that, I want to encourage you to go and read more of this beautiful letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. In the beginning of my ministry, one of my favorite parts was teaching confirmation to eighth grade students. I wanted to introduce them to theological concepts in ways that were so approachable that they would be able to talk to any aged person about big things, you know, like the Trinity. And so I got out the the Aquafresh toothpaste, you know, the one that has the three colors. And we would all put out a row of this Aquafresh toothpaste. And then I would give them a toothpick and I'd tell them to try to separate the three colors. And they would get so frustrated because it's virtually impossible to separate the three colors. And I would say, just like the Trinity, you can't separate the Father from the Son from the Spirit. Now stick with me, y'all, because I know that every single analogy, when it comes to the holy and the eternal things, it breaks down at some point. So when I was trying to explain the deal with sin, I would use the big S, sin, for this separation from God, and the little S, sin, just like I was taught. I wanted to emphasize that no matter what we do, we needed to realize like Paul writes in verse 14, we are not under law. We are under grace. Like like Kyle just said in the faith sharing, I wanted these kids to realize this immense love of God. I didn't want them ever to leave confirmation class. Like I don't ever want you to leave a worship service feeling condemned because scripture is so clear. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I wanted to make this very visible for them. 
And so I would hand out these pieces of paper and on them, I would tell them to write their sin and that no one would see what it is. So pride, jealousy, cheating, discontentment, whatever it is. And then I would place it in this bowl and it would have, you know, 30 pieces of paper in it. And then I would just say, look, y'all, when, when we come before God and we confess our sins, he forgives them and remembers them no more. It was this like powerful example and all the kids would be wowed. They want to know what that is and can they get their hands on some of that flash magic paper. But I have been thinking so much about how I wish I could go back and redo that lesson. I realize that that analogy does an incredible job of demonstrating the loving character of God. God loves, God forgives, God does not hold our transgressions against him. But you know, it keeps God at arm's length from our lives. It doesn't allow God into our decision-making and critical thinking. It keeps God on the outside, waiting for us to come to him when we need to or want something. We just do the sin and then we can go to God and ask for forgiveness. And so God becomes like an awesome grandparent. Someone we know would do anything for us, no matter what we do, but doesn't expect to hear from us a lot or share our desires and struggles. And as as far as sin goes, well, we'll just do our best not to do the big ones most of the time. Church, this is not the deal with sin. Paul writes, how can we who died to sin go on living in it? He writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now that's a word we don't like to talk about, death. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves daily and follow. When we follow Christ, we are making a decision to do something totally counter-cultural. It's sociologically counterintuitive. We make a decision to be on a journey of continual transformation. And this means some things in our lives, our hearts, and our minds have to die. We cannot keep God at arm's length, just continuing to live as we please or what we think pleases others, and then come to God when it's convenient. This following Jesus thing, this being a Christian thing, it is active and alive. Did you see all the action words in this passage? Live in, buried with, baptized into. Paul writes, we need to be presenting ourselves to God It's an ongoing minute by minute, day by day relationship with God, a God who desires to transform us from the inside out. I want you to consider how much time we focus on transforming the outside. We focus on how our skin looks. We want no acne. We want less wrinkles. We have fillers here and there. 
Some of us want fuller hair. Others want less hair. We want our clothes to be fashionable. And we want people to look at them and say, we look sharp, attractive, handsome, maybe even sexy. We want our homes to be dialed in, to look put together, for it all to be just right. And by golly, we are going to make sure that whatever we post on social media makes our outside appearance of our life, well, something that will make us get likes and make us feel like things are really going to be just right. The Apostle Paul reminds us that if we want to walk in newness of life, in freshness of life, if we want that sense that things are going to be just right, it will only come from being transformed from the inside out. Imagine with me using just 10% of the energy and focus that we put towards our outside image and we shift that focus to engaging with the creator of the universe. It would be a tithe of our time each day. Given to God to pray, to read scripture, to journal, to reflect, to do that inner work and let the spirit of God work within us. Consider it takes you 30 minutes to get ready. That's three minutes or it's 45 minutes shower like my boys, four and a half minutes. God does not want to be kept at arm's length from our lives. Paul writes, we have been buried with Jesus by baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I want to walk in newness of life in a way that is fresh, being transformed continually by the Holy Spirit. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.